Hi, this is Helen. And this is Jessie. And you're listening to Asian Bitches Down Under, and we're finally back from another break because both of us been having some health issues the past weeks. Um, Jessie's been getting well, over a cold. Work commitment, and you had cold slash flu. And yeah, we came back from Melbourne, and then we just started feeling <laughs> ill. That's what Melbourne does to you guys. <laughs> I mean, that's what Melbourne did to me. Uh, For you who don't know, you know, I just bitch about Melbourne all the time. <laughs> And I have to say, uh, a very intelligent friend of mine who I will not say their name, but there's someone I often mention on this pod and one of the greatest writers in this country mm-hmm. um, who they've published a few books already. I, um, I think they're the most s- smartest person on this planet. They also hate Melbourne passionately. So oh, really? I love that, that I have a, a, you know, a fellow Melbourne hater. Our hatred is strong. <laughs> I'll probably never be invited to Melbourne ever again, having said this. You'll probably be banned from Yeah, I'll be cancelled. Entering, entering uh, Victoria. Is it, but is it controversial to hate a city? I don't. Well, it's quite subjective. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think it's controversial to hate, uh, to not like a city, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because last week I had a minor surgery draining out like a, a pimple. Think, yeah, like a abscess. I think that's yeah. a technical name. Yeah, yeah. it's under my arms. So it's so painful. But I had like three shots of the anesthetic, which is the best thing ever. Really? Yeah. Um, I want to give a shout out to our local clinic's nurse, Nurse Sandy. She's brilliant. Yeah, she took care of me last week while I was going through this because I had to take through uh, a set of um, antibiotics for a whole week as well and stop really? doing anything at all except for walking. I couldn't even walk my dogs because they'll pull the lead, so I can't really use much of my upper body. Right. Yeah, so a lot of health concerns lately, and I also heard from an acquaintance about how she got shingles. Like She's yeah. slightly older than us, but I was just surprised that everyone's getting all this disease or issues right after COVID. I mean, COVID mm. is out there, but, mm. um, yeah, I feel like as we're getting older, we have to take more consideration about our body. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so would you like to start with your cultural consumption? Uh, cultural consumption for the yeah, week? so I, uh, last night I went to a spectacular book launch Mm-hmm. Clem Ford's latest book, I Don't, The mm-hmm. Case Against Marriage. I have been looking forward to this book for about a year now since she announced the publication. I think yeah. it's her fourth or fifth book. Fifth, it might be even her sixth yeah. book. She's written quite a, uh, quite, quite a lot of books, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, last night was hosted by Yumi Steins, this Lovely. event. Yep. Great, great bunch of gals. Mm-hmm. Um, both women were on the stage at the Seymour Centre in front of a packed crowd of, I'd say, like at least 300, 300, 400, 500. I'm not good with estimations, but it was a huge crowd, a huge mm-hmm. hall. Uh, there's always something quite completely engrossing in a way that I feel like you don't feel as a woman enough, which mm-hmm. is like this, which is when you are surrounded by other women who want another way of living. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're surrounded by a bunch of women who are really invested and very hopeful and very passionate about wanting to give 
this world and its women of the future a better, more limitless range of possibilities mm -hmm. yeah. of living. Yeah. And the book, I mean, the book is great. It's brilliant. It's it's just packed with so many uh, ridiculous kind of historical facts about what the, the way marriage has always been for women. Yeah. Um, it talks about the way she, she kind of undercuts history along with humour, the way we, like, make jokes about, oh, this guy's, you know, um, his life is over now that he's married, and she kind of attacks this idea of women and young girls being targeted at a very young age, it doesn't target men. It doesn't target boys. This mm -hmm. idea that, you know, your life will, your, your single objective in life is to find a man, is to marry them, is to reproduce. And, it's uh, also very heterosexual focus. It's never about, marriage was never about same sex. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I find myself every time I watch Clementine Ford speak in front of me, I find myself like just completely, I just like felt myself so, so sort of like, um, I don't know what the feeling was, but I just remember last night at, at moments during the hour long talk, I was just like so focused on her mm -hmm. and like in a way that I just, she has such a pull. She has yeah, such an incredible yeah. kind of energy and pull that I just like, and, and, you know, not, not many people can do this to me because I generally hate people <laughs> and I just think most people are stupid idiots and, you know, I'm one of those snobs. Um, but like just something about her, like I, I, I just wanted her to talk for much longer than the assigned hour. Mm. Uh, I was very disappointed when, um, it, it ended because mm. I just, I would have happily listened to her for, for just for forever. And I, I had that same feeling when, you know, last year she and Libby Donovan, her, her friend, performed the Love Sermon sort of mm -hmm. musical yeah, act at the um, Vanguard in Newtown. And uh, that was a way more emotional event. It was more personal. Uh, last night she was just promoting her book, which is about, you know, um, the fucked upness of marriage. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I just like, you know, I just, it's a great book. Go, go out and read it. I, I, I kind of just don't know why I'm so like I'm incredibly invested in hating on marriage and I'm not sure why like I'm not sure why I get I'm almost like offended when a feminist woman says she gets she's getting married I'm like <laughs> it's like a personable it's like it feels like a personal attack on me and I don't understand why mm -hmm. and I think I need to see my therapist about it mm -hmm. I'm curious <laughs> know if there were any men who attended the event last night did you see any men or it was just yeah so out of, I guess out of the four five hundred people there were like five men I saw Ooh. yeah five men so like whatever that is one percent <laughs> this is this is really interesting because in the overall society wise the concept of marriage that we've been ingrained with since we're little was that you know um we were pretty much been brainwashed if you're not married as a woman by a certain age you're not complete but then we also have this idea that framed around men who kind of try to escape from getting married you know the, we've seen stories about getting cold feet it was usually the men who doesn't who feel like once they get married they're going to be trapped um but what 
Clementine Ford is trying to present here the anti I don't want to use the word anti-marriage okay it's pretty much she's presenting the history context how bad it is for the woman but do you understand what I'm saying I'm, I'm trying yes. to find the, the 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 way that how men is are actually the one who is trying not to get into the marriage but in fact that once they get into the mar marriage men are usually the one who benefits the most oh yeah that's exactly she she says all that yeah she said that last night she says that in her book mm -hmm. uh it's it's really an ideology that is enforced upon one group of people half the population and uh, actively taught to yeah like you said men um, they just like expect that they you know once they feel like settling down they will just pick pick someone yeah, yeah. um but yeah i have a lot of like strong feelings about this so uh, yeah i just don't 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 understand uh, she like clem ford um she mentioned that she made a instagram story a real carousel of um men uh who have you know and their criticisms against her and you know people who are fragile when she talks about not wanting a society where marriage is still kind of the status quo and the default and um she's like taking screenshots of all those fragile men mm -hmm. and um she says in the book there's this one line that um i laughed out loud she's like um, if the world collected all of male fragility tears, the, like we would be flooded in it or something. Like it was, it was way funnier than that, but it was just like such a great line about um, the fragility of men mm. and uh, and those who feel like they're being attacked. And she's Clem Ford says last night she said like this book is not an attack on married people. She says she she's interested in attacking the system, you know, yeah. not the people who choose it. And uh, um, yeah it's it's a tremendous read and just something like i i felt very like sitting i guess last night because you know every day i write about the ways in which women's rights are completely neglected and dismissed mm -hmm. in a lot of countries um last night i had the feeling of like feeling like i was incredibly lucky to be in a country where i get to sit in amongst other women mm -hmm. and feel safe that i'm listening to someone who's preaching really like like for me i think uh being anti-marriage is not radical but i guess amongst the context of the rest of the world it can be seen as quite radical i think and it's just like i guess i was like of two minds i was like i can't believe i'm sitting here talking like hearing someone say something that i just think is common sense which is that um marriage is fucking fucked up and whoever does it is like uh, like any woman who does it i just like don't understand it blows my mind how any woman could still choose to get married these days like in a way that i just like i think i'm just not on par with other women in that sense but then also uh, another part of me was like oh this is actually quite radical and i feel grateful that i'm in a country where a woman like Clementine Ford can come out in a public space like the Seymour Centre and talk about these ideas and and for it to be like for for not for us not to feel um threatened although they did say Yumi Steins and 
Clem Ford did say that last night at the event they they had extra security because they said that the they they both get daily maybe not daily but they both said that they have a lot of death threats mm -hmm. sent to them. Um, Yumi Steins, um, you know, she said they Clem Ford also mentioned a few months ago with Yumi Steins and her the controversy she was embroiled in for having just published a book that you know folk like Clem Ford says it just teaches young girls to about female pleasure. And a lot of men just think that um, if too. young girls are taught about female pleasure, then the world will just fucking break up. Like the <laughs> men will just, you know, we don't um, men anymore. <laughs> they will. Yeah, they just feel threatened. Um, just the idea that young girls are being taught to understand their own pleasure and to prioritize that pleasure mm -hmm. is such a threat for so many men. Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, it's just like it was really. Um, I I felt really sad the fact that these women are just like doing something that sh you know shouldn't involve them risking their lives but in a, but in many ways they they do like they they do get very real threats and you know i just admire them and um for their courage yeah and i don't know how they go through honestly it's just that, that you have to have such a strong <sighs> mental abilities to to still focus on your work and then not be knocked down. Yeah. I've actually came across with a post by a musician who turned into like a blogger. Mm -hmm. um, he's Taiwanese, uh, Xu Changde. He wrote something. He's actually quite anti-marriage as well, which is mm -hmm. very rare to, you know, from coming from a man. Um, so he's not really into marriage at all. He kind of he goes to a talk show and criticizes the system of marriage, particularly in Taiwan and Eastern cultures. Um, he wrote something the other day. Um, I will read it out in Chinese first, and I'll give you the translation. He says, "如果有一天我们对未婚的人能不再用同情或怀疑的眼光看待，那时婚姻才可能有救，因为". 不再以为婚姻是什么高人一等的保障 um, He says that if one day we will stop look, we will stop looking at the unmarried people with doubt or pity, then the concept of marriage might be able to be saved, because that is when we stop considering that marriage is a guarantee to become a better person, as in oh. enter marriage, because. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of societies do consider that there's a hierarchical level between if you're getting Definitely. better, yeah. if you're not, then people doubt you that are you a broken person or... Yeah, you're not complete. There's something wrong with you. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. It's like that. Um, It's always been like that. It's a status thing. Mm -hmm. And Clem Ford last night does mention Jane Austen has not done much in terms of, you know, destroying these ideas she's part of the problem like within pride and prejudice when uh her sister lydia uh elopes gets married and you know um wick uh, da uh darcy forces wickham to marry her mm -hmm. uh, there's a scene where uh when they're coming down the stairs or something like that i haven't read pride and prejudice um she lydia says something like to Jane, who hasn't been married yet, she's like, Jane, you go behind me because you're not a married woman. Ah, uh, yeah. So there's so, a difference. In yeah, there's a status, there's a hierarchy. It's really uh, and I have to say that completely still exists today. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Completely. And I'm so not invested. Especially in Asian families, I think. Like I constantly、mm. seen a lot of people, or at least the people that I know from social media, they would say that、um, my parents treat my siblings who are married better than me because they are in a relationship or they are with someone.、Mm. Just because I don't choose to be in the relationship, or because I don't choose to be married, that、um, Asian parents they consider that you're you're not I don't know you're not complete or you're not good enough or something like that, which is ridiculous. Yeah, someone hasn't chosen you yet. Oh、That's、yeah, basically what they say. It's、saying. like it determines your worth or determines、yeah. your value. That's yeah. yeah. Any kind of system that measures you based on Your and I have to say, like it's a sexual relationship as well as any like obviously like、um, you know there are different types of relationship. But the thing that makes your romantic relationships different to your other relationships is sex, right? I'd say that's probably the key and fundamental. And I, I feel like any、um, relationship status that is、um, credited on sort of marked by your Um, obtainment of this relationship is one that I'm completely not invested in. I think I think we're better at measuring. It'll be more useful to measure, I guess, the quality of our friendships、mm-hmm. um, more than anything else. I think、um, I'd I'd rather celebrations where you know someone is、uh, earmarking or you know like celebrating. Uh, some those relationships that are outside the ones that are you know、um, romantically or patriarchal. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. It's way more impressive if you keep very if you have close deep friendships than if you have like a romantic partner.、Mm-hmm. I think like、um, I think that yeah, I think that、um, friendships are way more interesting than romantic relationships. And a lot of relationships becomes like exchange or trading benefits or advantages. You know, you you. It's almost you know, marriage is a business. If you look at to it, I'm pretty sure that Clementine would have mentioned how you know who be, who takes upon the property. Woman's been treated as a property in the marriage. Yeah, she does say all that. Yeah, the man takes over her and. Um, whereas friendship, it's pretty based on mutual consent of what you want to share or not share with your friend. Mm, mm, mm.、Um, okay, so that's the book that、uh, Clementine has newly released. It's called "I Don't." I don't. Yep.、I、encourage our listeners to go and get a copy. Yeah.、Mm. Hi there! If you're new to our show, thanks for tuning in into our program, and we hope you will stay with us for a very long time. And if you're a regular listener, we're forever grateful for your continuous support throughout this period of uncertainty. It has really helped this podcast to gain a great exposure, as our mission is to center the perspectives of people who look like us, who are marginalized historically to the sideline of conversation. So if you haven't already, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Omni, Apple, Google, or Spotify, and leave a rating and review. And of course, as a small podcast program, we rely on listeners' support to continue this work. 
please do check out our Buy Me Coffee page and make a donation in order for us to continue to advocate the intersectionality in the podcast industry. Um, so the past few weeks, I finally finished a book called Anan by Andre Dao, the Vietnamese Australian. Um, it took me quite a long time to complete this fiction, which seems very close to the semi-biography of the author's family. So the book begins with like a nameless narrator. They are very short chapters. I don't know why it took, it took me so long, at least three months to finish this book. Some chapters read like diary entries. Um, the story present in the book are mainly about the narrator's grandfather's history as a political prisoner in Vietnam and the ghost from the prison, the hardship that the narrator's grandmother had to go through, um, waiting 10 years for her husband to return. Um, I don't know how to really describe this book because it seemed to me some parts read like reads like academic writing, but mm-hmm. some parts are very colloquial. Um, the narrator talks about him being uh, a lawyer dealing with a lot of refugees because from his own background, he's like a child of a refugee as well. Um, he talks about the concept of home and how he attempt to reconciliate the past while He's trying to do his best to navigate his own life when he has a new child in his own, um, you know, in life. I've actually read some reviews that had commented that it was really difficult to read. Some parts are very similar to academic paper, like I said. And oh, wow. A lot of references to like French philosophers or Vietnamese political figures, which I have no idea about. Um, but personally, I think the thing that I can feel related to this book is that I could imagine that the trajectory is similar to our family where we would go back and think about how our grandparents lived through that era of chaos, the war time, and trying to collect that kind of information from our grandparents and acknowledge their past. Mm. Um, even so that the Guardian book reviewers had commented that the book takes the reader on a time that is a very wild. Uh, it is also equally a warm and tender book about family. So if someone wants to read something that is just a bit slow, it, it I think it drags along a bit, but there are very short chapters, so you don't have to worry about, you don't, you know, you lose the track of where you're reading. So I think it's a book that you can read just before you go to bed, like 10 minutes and you read a chapter every day. Yeah. So that's from me. Wow. So uh, Andre Dow is from a Melbourne. Yes. Yes. I'm like Melbourne writer. <laughs> don't, don't do that. <laughs> Let's just respect our Asian fellow. Oh, yeah, of course. I was joking. Yeah. I'm just like Melbourne is so literary. <laughs> Um, what have you been watching lately? So um, I finally, so uh, I caved this week after Helen sent her 100th <laughs> message to me to tell me to watch Joyride. I'm not kidding, everyone, <laughs> listeners. I'm not joking when I say Helen sent me over 100 text messages telling me to watch Joyride. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yes, uh, I, I did. 
finally do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was great. It was not disappointing at all. Um, it, it was directed by Adele Lim, who wrote, who was one of the writers on Crazy Rich Asians, mm-hmm. Crazy Rich Asians. Um, but uh, it it was way more sexual than I expected. Like there's was, a scene. This is why I love it. I think it's so good. Yeah, that the real, yeah like, it was yeah. very um, pro-sex mm-hmm. in a non kind of, uh, I guess. Non-shameful way. I mean, yeah, and also in there, but you can tell yeah. but it's so out there. Just... Oh yeah, it was brilliant to see Ashley Park have a threesome with two other Asian <laughs> Asian men. Just like Asian men were came out really well in this film. I would, yes. I really like that. I yeah. thought it was wonderful how they portrayed Asian men and s- sort of like made them um, beautiful sexual beings without fetishizing them. Mm-hmm. There was no fetishization. I feel like it was really well done. Um, I think my favorite character was, um, Cat, uh, Cat, Cat Huang, who was the actor who stayed played oh, by Stephanie. Stephanie Chu. Yeah. yeah, she was <laughs> probably my favorite. I really liked her. Um, I thought the, um, I thought the storyline of Ashley Park, the main character and her adoption was extremely poignant. Yes. And so sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, uh, it was really unexpected. I thought that was brilliantly the the script was really good. I think for like we don't want to spoil right now, but it took a turn at the last half an hour. Yeah, yeah, it would did really well, and then um, I was happy to see another you know Korean American actor that appeared at the very end. Oh yeah, that Daniel oh, Day Kim. Yeah, yeah, um, from Lost. He's just brilliant. I love seeing. He's so good. Seeing yeah, I know. More, you know. I agree. I agree. He's got oh, such. I, great I actually want to. Can we stop seeing? Like, can we stop seeing Ronnie Chan? <laughs> oh my god! Are you serious? Hell, because like literally, um, Andrew, my partner, said exactly the same thing. Um, we see him in every. I know, like he's like everywhere. Why? It's so funny. Why can we get it's someone so else? It's like as if yeah. we don't have any other Asian male. I know, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. It's kind of everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but overall, it is a great movie. Yeah, Link. yeah. I um, I I loved so many references the, the... that we get it. Like especially the part where they exit the airport, where they're um, describing all the different the different Asians. <laughs> and then, do you know? Remember what she said about Taiwanese people? I think they're saying that they wear something cute. Yeah, we're weird, but we're cute. Yeah, <laughs> we're weird, but we And I was like, hmm, I don't yeah. mind that description. Yeah, that's so funny. And also the the way that they have different personalities with different Asians that mm. were not stereotyped into just one form of Asians. Like mm. all the Asian female leads, they have different sort of personalities. And, oh, you know, I loved it. I, yeah. Um, I was telling you that it actually reminds me like Bridesmaid when, oh, when yeah. I watched it at the cinema. And um, yeah, and then I watched it again just a couple of weeks ago when you moved on to Apple TV with my husband. And he said mm-hmm. it, he quite, he's, quite, he, he's quite impressed and he said it's out of his expectation how the script is written so um, very sexually explicit. And also, yeah, um, it is. I it actually is. looked up that 
because it's during it was filmed during COVID, and we were wondering that because the story is you know mostly set in China, so we were wondering whether or not that China actually allowed them to film. Right. Interesting. Yeah. You know, on set on on in China for this story, and if we found out that it's actually not. Apparently, they film most of the scenes in Canada. I'm not surprised. If you look at certain shots, like a um, landscape shot mm. of a city, you don't see any characters in it. And if yeah. you see them in the small, a bit more compact um, scenes with the characters in it, they're usually they're all sets. They're all sets. Yeah. Remember all- the part where she goes back to one of the girls um one of the characters like hometown and then the grandma just yeah. speaks like perfect fluent perfect english yeah it's like what the hell so the actor is the the grandma who plays the the also the granny from nora from the queen with aquafina i'm pretty sure she's the she's, she's so the cute yeah she's, she's so cute isn't she she's the grandma from so what's in yeah what's so interesting was um while they were making this movie the actual working title was joy fuck club <laughs> oh yeah which yeah it's a, i think um, it's a joy luck yeah yeah i think that um this movie was mistitled i i don't think it was a good title for the movie i feel like they could have come up with a better title for yeah. the movie joy right i mean what does that mean it did it doesn't convey it doesn't convey anything about what the movie entails i reckon well, it's more like a traveling to somewhere, you know, with your best friend. And then yeah. To stupid things. Yeah, yeah. So many references. So many references. I I guess only Asians in the Western country will get it. Like I love it out so loud in the cinema, and also I Did cried you? at the mm-hmm. end. Yeah, yeah. It was just so uh, underestimated. I think it's so yeah. And not not rated good enough, unfortunately, mm. as what we yeah. always known about the Asian productions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope to see more of this kind of movie comes out that doesn't portray Asians as a single mono stereotypical um, character. Yeah, yeah. It's really good. Uh, well, I wanted to also just mention um, if if. Any of you are looking for kind of films outside of this decade mm. or even century or millennia. Um, I've been looking at past uh, movies with fem- great female leads and um, two I want to recommend. Working Girl, obviously, is a great movie uh, starring Harrison Ford, Melanie Griffiths uh, and Sigourney Weaver. Um didn't I didn't love it as much as the next film I'm going to mention, but I just wanted to drop that in. Working Girl is a classic, um, probably the one of the greatest opening credit sequences. Uh, but the the film I really want to talk about was Nine to Five, mm-hmm. which uh, my friend Billy, who we all love, um, said is probably one of the best workplace movies ever. Uh, Nine to Five stars Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda, and um, Dolly Parton, who mm-hmm. is just absolutely incredible in it. I don't know much about Dolly Parton's screen work. I just have always known her as like a country singer. Yeah. Uh, but I also saw her in Still Magnolia, which is a movie I also saw during this week where I just looked at old movies with females, strong female leads. Mm-hmm. Still Magnolia is uh, 
uh, an absolute tearjerker if you want to cry. Um, and I was sick during this week while I watched these movies. And it's it's actually quite cleansing. Um, you know, you got a lot of snot in your in your head, sinus, <laughs> and you need to clear it out. Just like have just, just put on yeah, just I'm cry. Put on Steel Magnolia. You will cry. Sally Field at her best doing the whole tra- trauma mum losing her child thing. Oh. Sorry, I just spoiled her for people who didn't know the plot of the movie. But like um, I didn't love the movie. I thought it was a bit too sad and morbid. But it's one of um, Julia Roberts's first appearances, so you know Julia Roberts peaked, not yet peaked Julia Roberts, but Julia Roberts in her embryonic stages, amazing. She's just like such a star. But uh, I mentioned that because uh, Dolly Parton is also in Steel Magnolia, uh, so I watched that and Nine to Five, just such a fantastic, fantastic film. Uh, sometimes I. I'm reluctant to go back and watch older films because in the same way that I am really reluctant to read books that are like written 200 years ago, I get <laughs> kind of lost in the language. Yeah. The, the, language the sort of, you don't understand. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm not, I don't like feeling uncomfortable and I'm quite a lazy reader in the sense that I like to feel comfortable when I read. And so I don't, I'm not a very, um, adventurous reader I kind of stay in my zone and so when I um in, so sometimes I feel like I need to embark on you know older things just to you know learn. like for instance last week I watched um Casablanca for the first time I watched An Affair to Remember for the first time both films are incredibly accessible sometimes I feel like the quote-unquote classical works of literature or art are very inaccessible to me because like the people who determine these works of art as classics are often um, white male, you know, just yeah. like so totally not my kind of lane. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Casablanca was great. Uh, An Affair to Remember, tremendous. But 9 to 5 is, it could have been made like yesterday. I just obviously it couldn't have. But I, I found it completely raucous, completely a lot of issues. Very contemporary. Oh, yeah. It was actually really sad to watch it because, you know, I think, Nine to Five was made in the 80s, I believe, mm-hmm. late 80s maybe. I could be wrong. But anyway, 80s, so, you know, like 30, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. 40 years ago. And um, they're still like and, – and at the end there's a scene where the women take over the um, their organisation, their company, and they start putting in things that they want, so like childcare, equal pay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we still haven't and, – and those two things we still haven't managed to accomplish mm-hmm. in society. So it's like really poignant, um, really kind of like confronting to see that uh, that you know women are still struggling with these issues forty years on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you've never seen Nine to Five, highly, highly, highly recommend. It is so good. It is so uh, entertaining and uh, just like yeah, it's just a classic that I think everyone should watch if you haven't already. What's the rating of nine to five? Because I'm trying to. <gasps> oh, you should. Oh, um, I think ten year old. I think. Yeah, your ten year old. All movies to watch with her. Um, mm, let me see. I'm assuming what that age you... rating is nine to five? It says it's um. It's a PG. It's yeah. It's it says here the movie is best for teens. Okay. Yeah. I I will look it up and watch it with her. Oh please! It's so good. Yeah. Um, moving on to some more contemporary um, work, 
I uh, last weekend I spent two days listening to Britney Spears memoir. <laughs> you first came out yeah. last Wednesday. Every, yeah, everyone's talking about it. Talking about it. So it's uh, the woman in me. I listened to the audio book, which is read by Michelle Williams, and she's brilliant. Yeah, I, I, that's what I'm gonna do. Like I bought, I bought the book as well. So I'm can't, I can't wait to dig into it. Yeah, I think reading and listening to it, you'll have totally different feelings because Michelle Williams is a actor. She puts so much emotion into this book when she's reading it. And obviously it's written by the ghostwriter Le- uh, Sam Lensky. So um, I don't know how the actual process of being ghost written. So I assume that he's collected all the stories from Britney Spears and he wrote the book. Um, I actually want to start with talking about how Britney Spears affect my life not so oh, much please, in my please. life as in how much when she came out that um i don't think there was a profound moment that she really impacted our consuming of culture but uh, apart from music personally i think she was appealing to me because she was on the shoulder she's a tiny you know she's a tiny singer she's not very tall mm-hmm. and i feel like i can relate to her especially like my body shape i wasn't tall and which is feel I feel really hard to relate to all my white um, classmates who are tall, blonde, but whereas Britney Spears, she looks tiny compared to other white celebrities, and also how she wear the crop top. Like I still wear crop tops in my forties now, and I mm-hmm. love that because she just, mm-hmm. she's not uh, afraid of showing her her stomach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just thought that she was brilliant when she first came out seeing the songs and one of my all-time favorite is actually not the not the hits one it's the um sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes i run yeah that one was really good sometimes i hide i love that uh music video because it has a dog on a page <laughs> oh yeah and is it a lab is it a lab I don't think it's a lab. It's it's probably a shepherd or a yeah okay. shepherd or a border collie, yeah. And one of my really good male high school friend likes the song as well, but he always told me that he's scared of telling his friends that he likes Britney Spears. Is he is he straight? He's straight. Okay. Yeah, he's straight. Um. So the book uh, with the audio book, Britney Spears actually her reads the prologue herself oh wow i like that. that she's aged from the voice yeah her her, her voice was a bit horsey and yeah time. yeah it's distinguishable it's definitely britney spears voice you can tell because we've been mm-hmm. listening to her for decades yeah. and the word the way that she munches a word like a very southern american accent i don't know the name yeah. kind of how she produced the words mm-hmm. but um you can definitely hear even like it's a couple of minutes when she read the prologue you can hear that the years of singing and also the emotional turmoil have you know um impacted her voice yeah she's definitely aged uh something that i found out from this book was that um she actually know natalie portman when she was like nine or ten yeah worked in the same musical in new york Mm -hmm. and it fascinates me how they took these two celebrities have 
had a very, very different different lives. Yeah. Yeah. She talks about the first part, like I would actually divide the book in two parts. The first part was before the conservatorship and the second part is how she struggled through conservatorship. I wouldn't say, I think more like she survived through. Yeah. Um, She doesn't really bad mouth anyone i feel like from her words like she mm-hmm. just merely presents as in what happened and i'll let readers to judge yeah yeah and i feel really sad for her after reading this book um it reminds me of how the media treated monica Lewinsky back in the 90s yeah. it's all the same like mm-hmm. how the woman's been treated by the media been attacked of just being themselves and to this day, I think still there are a lot of people who dislike her just because that the way she presents herself and how her creative work is presented to her fans. Mm. I, from the book, you can really tell her strength is with her artistic performance. She's really devoted in creating mu- new music, but she's also really really upset about how she's been vilified by media and all the men in her life unfortunately and obviously mm. she goes back to she she goes back and talk about it's almost like a repeat of history how her grandmother was treated by the men of the family yeah institutionalized into the mental health care and i think two or I think two of her, like her grandfather married three times and two of the women uh, died because once by suicide and the other one was like being institutionalized in the mental care, mental mm. health care and she just died there. I, I can't remember. It was, yeah, it was not hard to, it's not surprising reading her story because I've seen similar stories uh, with a lot of female celebrities in Taiwan, how they become famous really young and they start buying houses, cars, mm. and financially supporting their parents even before they're twenty, you know, before they're twenty five, and then the parents comes back and kind of mooches on them. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine how difficult that would be. I can't. Yeah. I don't envy that at all. It's uh, mm. it's really tough. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to read it. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's a short read, isn't it? You it's said a short it's... read, and it's really easy. Like if you listen to it, it's like it, it's really the the journalist who wrote the ghost wrote the book. He uses a very simple language, and also I wonder that he wants. I, I'm guessing that he wants to keep the tone of mm-hmm. within the book, so he didn't mm-hmm. really dominate his own um, writing styles. I'm guessing mm-hmm. because when you listen to it you can definitely hear that it is Britney Spears, like sort of like Sal's and Dixie mm-hmm. um, characteristics. From there to here, she will drop like, oh, my God, why am I doing this? Or very colloquial verbal sort of uh, writing style. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Great recommendation. Uh, and we can't wait to hear what you guys think about it when you put, uh, also purchase it. And probably I feel like a lot of people would be listening to it on audible because uh because yeah. it is such a tremendous uh it's such a tremendous performance by michelle, michelle williams. williams yeah yeah 
I think at the end of the uh, audio book, the audio book recording, um, they mentioned, you know how usually they will read out uh, the production is by someone, someone or the producer of this audio book is someone, someone. I think they included a director inside as well. So someone actually oh. directed Michelle Williams of how to. That is so cool. I love that. Your book. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's already out in German and French as well. That wow. Is that popular. Yeah, yeah. I'm not surprised at all. I'm not surprised at all. I mean, it, yeah, absolutely. Um, so great recommendation. Uh, shall we take a break? Yeah, let's take a break. And when we come back, uh, Jess wants to dive into some discussions about cooking. Cooking. So this week I had the strange pleasure of covering a story from uh, the World Cooking Index, mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, an annual study analysed uh, by Gallup and CookPad. So Gallup is a uh, research institute um, and CookPad are uh, a food technology company often they're um they're japanese it's a japanese company um and they basically are recipe producers uh and this study is in its fourth or fifth year um fifth year it started in 2018 and basically what it does is it um surveys people around the world in 142 countries about their uh preparing and home cooking uh rituals so you know it it uh surveys people on how often they cook at home um and and they also break it down into gender age and household size and how that influences people's cooking habits mm -hmm. so i guess the angle that we took with that i found interesting in this study was the the gender disparities in cooking Mm. Um, we often talk about domestic labor and the discrepancies between, you know, men and women doing household chores. We know that typically when a woman moves in with a man or when she gets married, that her household, um, duties, um, and the hours that she puts into cleaning domestic chores, um, is much higher than, uh, a man's. Mm. Um, and what was interesting, um, I guess with this study is it looks specifically at cooking. And cooking and food preparation is largely a female-dominated, um, i.e. unpaid and unrewarded task that women do on a daily basis. And what I found really interesting about the study is that there's a correlation between um, the countries where the gap was the highest, as in most of the women yeah. like yeah. did way more cooking than the men. There's a correlation between those countries and um, and their the these countries and their uh low ranking in the global gender indexes yeah. mm -hmm. so for instance like the 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 countries where women cooked way 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 more than men were also the countries where uh, women's rights are, is just like completely neglected so countries like um in yemen um egypt uh the uh, a lot of um countries in the middle east um and in africa these discrepancies were very high often these countries also struggle with issues like human rights um, parliamentary representation of women education and access to healthcare. 
Mm. And then conversely, uh, I guess um, it goes without saying, um, the 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 countries where the gap is lower, as in you know men cooked almost as much as uh, and as frequently as women in the household, were countries where there was a higher awareness of equality between the sexes. So countries like Spain, the UK, Switzerland, and France. Now, Helen, do you want to guess which country actually? There was only one country that came out um, with uh, more men cooking more often than women. Do you want to take a stab at which country that might be? I'm guessing it will be like a Scandinavian country. Sweet. Yeah, you'd think that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Switzerland was among the top five. Okay. So you're right. But um, the, the country where um, more men cooked on average uh, more frequently than women was Italy. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. And okay. we were talking about, like, we were thinking, talking about, like, in, in my workplace, why that could be. And we said maybe there's, like, just a more, a, cook, a deeper traditional cooking culture that's not gendered. Yes. In Italy, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? I feel like, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to say that within Asian countries who cook more because typically the men who cooks will cook as a job, you know, they, they will be like chefs. Or oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I love like that you said that, yeah. As, a occupa as an occupation, but at home-wise, yeah, I don't know with Italy. Maybe we should get someone who's who has I Italian background and tell us. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe they um, just control the kitchen more. Yeah, it reminded me of something Clementine Ford said last night, which is that the reason why men often don't automatically do housework is because they're not rewarded monetarily. Like there's no uh, sort of external, there's no external person or boss saying like, oh, congratulations, you've just cleaned up um, the kitchen. Uh, here, here's $50. Like there's no reward. Mm -hmm. And he's like, that's why men don't do stuff around the house. It's because, like, there's no external applaud or any kind of external. Oh, okay. Um, it's an interesting thing. Yeah, which I thought is, yeah, like, I, I, you know, I was like, yeah, um, I just thought uh, I could see that. Um, I can understand that way of thinking, like, uh, men not tending to not, you know, fix things that are not like, oh, well, I clean up something or like, um, make the bed or do laundry because uh, there's no monetary reward behind it. And mm. so often just women are the invisible keepers of the house. Mm. I always thought that most men, I, I can't say all men because there are some men that does the chores. Most men who I know that all the stories I hear from other friends, their own relationship issues is that men tends to tolerate mess yeah and, yeah exactly <laughs> and, and clement and clementine ford says this she says the reason why they do that is because um there's no reward mm. there's no reward there's no outside person giving them a handshake and a slap on the back saying congrats and 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 because we've raised young men to see their lives as one in which they only do something if they're rewarded monetarily yeah. You know, like um, we still raise young boys to say, hey, this is this is X, Y, Z. This is what you're going to be rewarded for, like, mm -hmm. you know, being strong and being a provider, meaning, you know, make more money. Yeah. Um, the more money you make, 
the more value you have as a man in society. And so um, men don't seek other forms of, I guess, tasks mm -hmm. where they're not rewarded monetarily because they're not built that way. That's yeah. what she said. So that's unfortunate that because the boys are always taught that maybe they were also taught that um, this is from an Asian perspective. I don't know about the Westerners that a lot of young boys are taught that um, from young that they believe that the chores are for the girls to do. Well, at least this yeah. is what I've grown up with. You know, the girls do the chores and which means that in their own concept is that only girls do them, not the boys. And also they know that they see no value. They don't see the value of doing chores. They can't see the value of having um, clean clothes or a healthy meal. They think it's just they're taking a lot of things for granted. That's why they believe that, okay, people like my mother does it for me and eventually whoever I marry in the future, they would do it for me. Like she would do mm, it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. That's an interesting correlation with, you know, the amount of time, the cooking habits between men and women and the gender inequality of a country. Yeah. Um, all right. That's the end of our episode. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple and give us a five star rating. You've like to support us what we do here at asian beaches down under head to buy me coffee page and make a donation for us to continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry so that's it from us this week and we'll talk to you next time bye